Yeah, I was, I was not prepared for the phone call. I was sitting in a Starbucks, sipping on a tall mocha, looking out the window at the traffic going by and across the street, the Reagan building in Washington, D.C. And my cell phone rang. And it was Rachel, my daughter. And she said, Dad, I just talked to Rebecca. Graham has fallen in a bucket of water. He's not breathing. She's in a panic. I'm going to New Orleans. And then silence. I listened to it for a while, trying to process what I'd heard. And then I turned to my friends and said, my 10-month-old grandson has fallen in a bucket. He aspirated the water. He's not breathing. I got to go home. You're never prepared. You can't prepare for a call like that. It just comes to you. The phone rings, and somebody says, Daddy died this morning, and there's nothing you can do. Without your knowledge, without your permission, your world fundamentally changes. People helped me get a taxi. I got to the airport. People made flight arrangements. I got on the airplane. I prayed I don't know what. I went to that little bitty restroom in the airplane and I looked at myself in the mirror for a long time and I talked to myself and I said Graham's fallen in a bucket he's not breathing he's not breathing and I tried to make it real and tried to comprehend and get my arms around it and I couldn't Reality didn't hit till I got off the elevator on the fourth floor of Ochsner Hospital and some of you, six of my friends, were standing in a row waiting for me. And that's when I began to understand. How do you pray? when you get the news that you can't change but it changes your world there's a psalm in the Psalter that addresses this very thing and it's in Psalm 116 so if you have your Bibles I want you to turn over there it's Psalm 116 and the psalmist prays part of these words, and part of these words, he's talking about God to others, but on that insert, we have turned the entire psalm into a prayer. 
I'm going to read it like it's written, but you've got it as a prayer in your insert. It's easy to do with Scripture, and you can make it a practice, if you like, to turn Scripture into prayers. Particularly in the Psalms, it's easy to do, and this Psalm in particular lends itself to this prayer. Verse 1 says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord. Therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm I said, everyone is a liar. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. Lots of things that we could comment on in this psalm. But when the trouble comes, when the sorrow comes, when you're deeper down than you ever imagined you would be and covered up with pain, you can pray these prayers and they are according to the will of God. Sometimes when you get in trouble, you don't know what God's will is. But there are some things you know about the will of God. Here's the, the first prayer to pray. When sorrow comes, when you are hit with difficulty, I love you, Lord. It's how the psalmist begins his prayer. He begins with the confession of love. He says to God, I love you, Lord. God wants to hear it from your lips. You need to say it. I love you, Lord. You know it is the first and greatest commandment. You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said that very thing. Loving God, you know it's right. You know it's true. It, you know it's what you ought to do. So when you pray in sorrow and trouble, just say, I love you, Lord. It's a confession that is good to make. Your prayer is saying, God, I know you're present. Your ear is inclined toward me. I'm not just praying into space. I know you're listening and you understand. I have turned to prayer because I believe that you care about me 
and I'm saying this to you, God, I love you. Sometimes when trouble comes and we are together as family, it's all we know to say to one another, I love you, Mom. It's all the words we can verbalize. This is a truth that begins the prayer in trouble and suffering. It is a response to what God has already done for you. You saying, I love you, Lord, is a response to him saying, I love you, Jack, Mary, George, Nancy. I love you. God so loved the world, put your name in the space. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. John the apostle later says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. That's what love is. We love him because he first loved us. God loves you, not your neighbor, not your parents, not your grandparents. Talking about you, ma'am. You, sir, you are the object of the unfathomable, unending, incomprehensible love of God. It's pouring down from heaven like a waterfall on your heart, on your head. Right now, God loves you passionately, fully, completely, like you've never been loved anywhere else. God loves you. I can't look at Graham without thinking, God loves us. God loves us. Why? Why would God love us? Not because of us. It's because of him. Therefore, it never changes the love of God. It is part of his changeless character and his demeanor toward us. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. But he makes us in his love who we ought to be. It is the most powerful drawing force in your life, this love of God. If you receive it, if you hear it, if you believe it, that God loves you, it shapes your soul, your inner being, your inner life, your daily walk. It changes everything about you when you receive it, when you believe it, when you open your arms instead of fighting God, you open arms and just let him give you the hug that he wants to give you and let him say, I love you, and you say, I love you back. It's the fundamental orientation of life. I love you, Lord. It's never wrong. It's always faithful. Always responds to the truth of God's love. To say in your prayer, I love you. Now the psalmist goes on to say, I believed, therefore I spoke. And the Apostle Paul in Romans quotes this little phrase from Psalm 116. I believed, therefore I spoke. He's talking about the spirit of salvation, the power of God in changing us. I believed, therefore I spoke. And when you hear, I believed, therefore I spoke, and the quote is next. You're expecting the quote that sends tremors through the universe. It's the speaking to the mountain be plucked out and cast into the sea. That's what you expect. You anticipate that the confession of faith 
and the prompting to speak will result in a grand declaration, but it doesn't. Instead, it's this surprising word that in his faith, the persecuted believer speaks out loud. I am greatly afflicted. I am greatly afflicted. How does that translate into faith? Why would a statement, I am greatly afflicted, and its companion, all men are liars, why would that come from the statement of faith, I believe, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted? Because the man who believes, the man who has faith, is resting and conversing with a God who knows everything. He knows it all. There's no use telling him you're happy if you're not. There's no use telling him you're fine like you do at work when you're walking down the hall. How you doing? Ah, oh, fine, good. And you're dying inside. It's the last thing. It's not true. You're not fine. You don't have to stop right there and tell a fellow, let me tell you how I'm doing. He's just saying hi. He's just, it's just a pleasantry. But with God, dispense with the pleasantries, all right? I love you, Lord, because you love me. And here's the truth about it. I am greatly afflicted. I am under duress. I'm in trouble, God, and I want you to know I'm speaking it out loud. Let God know what's on your heart. You know he already sees it completely all the way to your toes nothing is hidden in your mind or heart from God there's no use putting on a facade or a happy face when you come to the place of prayer if you believe that God loves you and cares about you then tell him what's going on I love you Lord I know you love me this is the situation I'm in this is how I feel I am greatly afflicted I am overcome, God, with sorrow and trouble. It has come upon my life. It is not an act of doubt. It is not betraying God to share with him that you are truly overcome with sorrow. I watched my daughter, Rebecca, After they said that Graham might die and we should prepare for his death, he might live. But very possible he would die. She could not stop weeping. She would start a sentence and weep in the middle of it and get enough composure to talk again and then start weeping again. She pulled up in a fetal position in the hospital room and wept till there were no more tears. She told me after a week of Graham and ICU, she said, Dad, I've lost eight pounds. And I thought, that's about what a gallon of tears weighs is eight pounds and you've cried it all out 
and there's no way to console you. So what do you say to God when your baby's on a ventilator and you hear the machine beeping? You say, Lord, I am greatly afflicted. I'm overcome. If you can formulate the words, you are honest with him and you say, this is where I am. This affliction that we bear as we go through this life is not what we at first imagined would happen when we trust Christ as Savior. At first you think when Jesus says, you will have tribulation. You think, well, somebody at work just rejected my testimony. That's what Jesus meant about tribulation. When the scripture says sorrow and suffering are going to come to you, you think about the things that happen in normal life and the difficulties in relationships, and you think, well, this is what the Bible's talking about. And then you come into the period in your life where the suffering is more than you ever imagined it would be. It's longer, and it's deeper, and it's harder. And you're thinking, God, wait a minute. I, I trusted in you. I tried to do what is right. I tried to believe in you, and I taught others to do so. And now this, what's going on in my life, and the trouble and sorrow and tribulation that the Bible promises will come your way is, is deeper and wider and longer than you ever imagined it will be. It is that kind of trouble. where the Lord watches us and cares for us and wants us to trust him. The apostle Paul went through a lot of bad stuff. He was shipwrecked. Four times he was beaten with 39 stripes. Sometimes those beatings actually killed a victim. Once he was stoned, thrown over a cliff outside of town. They locked him up in chains and threw him in jail for years. And toward the end of his life, he wrote about these light and momentary afflictions. Light and momentary. Light and momentary. And we think these light and momentary afflictions are light and momentary because we are believers and we don't suffer like unbelievers. Unbelievers suffer long and hard and difficult and weighty afflictions, but believers, they have light and momentary afflictions, and that's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying that these are light and momentary afflictions, not because they are light and momentary compared to other people on the planet, but they are light and momentary to the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have a future that's incredible, unbelievable, and we can't even put it into our small minds. The things that God has planned for those who trust him. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. And one day, you're going to be in heaven if you know Jesus and have trusted in him. You're going to be in heaven. And you're going to look back on this life and the deepest sorrows that you experienced. And you will say with the apostle. Yep, they were light 
and momentary compared to this eternal weight of glory that God is working in me. I'm so glad I can announce to people at funerals the faithfulness of God, that he never leaves, he never forsakes. Yesterday I watched as a daughter knelt at an altar before the remains of her mother. And she wept until her tears covered the little box where the ashes were. And she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she rose from that place and walked away. And I made a note in my mind that when I spoke in the funeral, I would talk about how God handles the affliction of guilt and shame and regret. These are weighty and deep and difficult afflictions that scar the human heart. And the writer here says, Lord, give me rest. It is the third prayer I would recommend to you. Give me rest, Lord. Be at rest, O my soul, for God has been good to me. And having witnessed so much of the unrest and anxiety of the human heart, I know that the fundamental peace which you pursue is the peace that only comes from the forgiveness of God. I mean, this is the first peace, the first rest for your soul, is to receive God's magnificent forgiveness and lay off the shame and guilt and regret that dogs your steps. You gotta put it away. God wants to do something different in you, something more powerful than that. God doesn't want you living your life weighted down by that affliction, by that anxiety. He wants you to fully receive the forgiveness that he bought for you when Jesus died upon the cross. He wants it realized in your life. And the accuser is perpetually saying to you, you are not good enough. You are not strong enough. You have done too many wrongs. You have been too far away. God cannot forgive you. You cannot be restored. You are not enough, uh, important enough to God. The accuser keeps telling you that. And he wants you to live in the cloud of regret and guilt and shame. And God wants you to live in his peace. And he sent Jesus to bring you peace. You say, well, how does this peace happen? Paul says, he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace. Give me rest, Lord. I have the anxious soul syndrome. You ever, you ever get that? The anxious soul syndrome? <laughs> Not just being anxious for a minute or two or 12 but sort of a perpetual anxiety that hangs at the very edge of your mind and your consciousness. 
worried that you're not performing well enough, you're not doing good enough, others are doing better than you, why are you always falling behind the anxiety that hangs on the edge of everything you do that you're not measuring up? You know what I'm talking about? Give me rest, Lord. Let me rest in you. Be at rest, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. The goodness of God is very fundamental to your peace and to your rest. When you get in the sorrow, when trouble comes, it is disorienting. It scrambles your world. You don't know where to turn. You don't know how to be. You don't know what to say. People come and go in your life when sorrow comes and and it's hard to know how to relate. And It's disorienting when trouble and pain come into your life. You don't want to be in this position. You've always been on the other side. You've always been the caregiver. You've always helped the others and now you're helpless and somebody else to help you and and it feels out of place. We get anxious and upset and God speaks peace to our heart and he does so with his fundamental goodness. We believe that God is good that he is perfectly good, that he is fully good, that every intention of his heart is good. God is good. He is good today. He is good tomorrow. He is good when the sun is shining and good when it's raining. He's good when things are going my way and when they're not. God is always good all the time. Amen. You know, our own experience being in the waiting room even in the hours when we knew that it was possible Graham would die, our own experience was we never turned loose of the goodness of God. We just hung on to it. Whatever was coming, God, your grace was going to be sufficient, and we would make it through somehow. Even if Graham died, which we could not imagine and could not fathom. Every place we went, Graham's socks were in the dryer and his bottles in the fridge and his car seat in my car and his diapers by the couch and he's a present and wonderful and delightful presence in the lives of Janet and me and we could not imagine that he would be gone. But we said it to ourselves and we even said it out loud. Whatever happens, God is good and we will make it through. I rehearsed the speech that I would give to Rebecca if Graham did not survive. I walked and I said to myself, I will say to her, Brady needs you. Michael needs you. Mallory needs you. I need you. You have lots to live for and lots of life to go. But she thought she might die if Graham didn't make it. 
And sometimes it looked like it would be fatal for her. It was not theory. It was truth we tried to stand in. God, you are good, and your grace is sufficient. And we don't know what will happen in the next 72 hours. But we are resting in you. Be at rest, O oh my soul. For God has been good to you. You can look back on your life and see the wonderful markers where God intervened. He surprised you. You weren't expecting him to do this or that or send that person into your life, but you prayed and God answered. You remember those things. You got to mark them down. You ought to write them out. How God worked in your life and proved his goodness to you over and over again. The goodness of God, though, has never been in question since he sent his one and only son to die on our behalf. God is good. He sent Jesus. We are his. We can expect his goodness no matter what what his goodness is not contingent upon him answering my prayer like I want him to I do not want to coerce the will of God God loves me he is perfectly good his will for me is the best the highest the 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 finest that I could ever desire ever long for so I don't want to coerce God in doing something against his will which I cannot do anyway I want to bend my will to his conform my life to his life because he is a perfectly good and loving one and nothing he has planned for me is evil I trust in his goodness when I walk through the valley of the shadow be at rest dear soul dear saint Set aside your anxiety. Trust in the Lord. Put your faith in God. Not faith in faith. Not faith in your emotions. Not faith in the intensity of your prayers. Put your faith in God. God is good. God is powerful. He can do whatever he desires on this planet. He has no limits. You have all kinds of limits. I have all kinds of limits. What happens in the future when we pray for miracles, when we seek God's face in the desperate hour, we are seeking God's will, his finest will, his perfect will for us. And we don't expect that God will change his perfect, fine will for us. We think we can comprehend if we just understand that we'll have peace. Sometimes we say that to people in our lives. If you can just explain to me why you did so and so, then I can be at peace about it. And even as we ask the question, we know there's no explanation. The person who has offended us or betrayed us or done what is wrong, they know it was wrong. When they even think about it, they think, why, why did I do that? You know, there is no real explanation and there is no peace in knowing. Sometimes we want God to explain why things have happened. And we go to him and say, God, if I could just understand if I could just understand why you took my daddy, why you took my mama, even why you took my child, if I could just understand, then I could have peace. And the answer to that is, no, you are mistaken. Your peace will not come from intellectual satisfaction. Your peace will come from trusting God, even though you don't know. 
Your mind is limited. You can't get your hands or your arms around the mind and will and purposes of God. You want to touch your fingers on the other side of God and comprehend him, encircle him with your arms. You want to know it and understand like God understands the universe and he's too big. You can't do it. You can't reach that far. You're going to have to have a peace that passes understanding that goes beyond it. Be at rest, O oh my soul. The Lord has been good to you. You can rest in him even with questions that you don't ever get answers to in this lifetime. It's okay that life is full of mysteries and God's purposes are mysterious. It's okay that you can't work it all out and know how everything's supposed to be. It's okay. Because you have a good and loving God way beyond any goodness or love you've ever encountered before. This is the God you have. And it's in his hands. And you trust him. The psalmist says at one point, the cords of death have encircled me and ensnared me and entrapped me. And then he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You're not really ready to live, to put one foot in front of the other on this planet until you're ready to die, until you're ready to go into the next life. You're not really prepared to live the next day of this life you get prepared for the next step you need to take by trusting Jesus as Savior and knowing that in life or in death, you are his. I'm so glad the psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I quote it sometimes at funerals. I did it yesterday. God knows us and loves us in this life and the next. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a place for you. And one of these days, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. That's going to be one of those great miracles you can look forward to when you breathe your last, when your heart stops beating, and you close your eyes and disappear into the night. The next second you open them, Jesus is there, escorting you into the presence of God. That's what he said. I'm preparing a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again, receive you where I, uh, to myself. God loves you so much, he wants you with him for an eternity, for always and ever. He wants you in his house. He's got a room. He's got a place at the banquet table. This is amazing. This is true. This is what God has waiting for us. Nothing better. He's a good God. He loves us. He gets us through the good times and the bad. We have to trust him. Let's bow. You may have a prayer you need to say to God. A prayer that says, I love you, God. 
Maybe I'm overcome with sorrow or I am greatly afflicted or give me peace. Pray your prayer knowing that God hears the whisper of your heart. We need you, Lord. We confess it. Do your work in us, we pray. Draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.